Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where as regularly you'll get from us 20 minutes or so of thoughts on important matters relating to the hotel and uh, operational real estate investment space. Um, I'm Chris Brown, the editor of Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined uh, by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, to discuss the three topics. And we're starting with the uh, lending landscape, um, which looks to have been getting a bit tougher. We, well, if you've got a mortgage, I think you, you know, this up for renewal, you might be, uh, you might well know that it's uh, the lending landscape is getting tougher. But it's getting tougher also for businesses, and um, specifically for hotels and those in hospitality. And we've recently had uh, a report from a business school in London, based business school in London, which points out how much more expensive a, uh, the lending has got across a range of asset classes and uh, across Europe. Um, so suddenly we've gone from a very, very low rate lending environment to a substantially more expensive lending rating environment. Um, and across Europe, there's some interesting variations in uh, the kind of loan-to-value maximums that banks are comfortable with. Um, uh, we've also spoken with several of those busy and active in the lending market uh, in the UK. Uh, Oak North Bank being one of the uh, the new upstart lenders um, who are active across uh, a variety of business classes, including hotels, and they're quite happy still to be lending into the space. Uh, and are seeing still plenty of demand and I think they are winning where some of the traditional high street lenders may be starting to reduce their hospitality loan book um, and we have heard tell of one or two cases where refinancings are being restricted despite the businesses being in very good shape and that's the sort of place where these newer lenders are picking up new business. So it has got tougher, it's not uh, impossible um, but you just have to redo the numbers. It, the, the, the days of cheap and easy money are, are over for now. Yeah, and thank goodness for that. And I think they're going to be, um, a, barring some catastrophe, um, um, we, we're not going to see a return to those zero rates. Now, there was some confusion um, earlier this week um, we're recording this on Friday morning um, when the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, um, they launched their World Economic Outlook and they also published a blog post that said we, we may see a return to zero rates. But the confusion with this was um, what they were talking about was zero real rates. So at the moment, there's a well, there isn't much of a gap actually between um, inflation and interest rates. Um, we, we've got negative real rates, um, but we will soon, um, given how rapidly inflation is falling, we will have quite significant um, real rates. Um, and the suggestion from the IMF was actually what we'll see is this going back to close to zero. And there was some confusion here that, oh, this means that interest rates are going back to zero. No, they're not. Um, and I don't think we're going to see rates um, back in this uh, weird zone they've been in since the global financial crisis um, ever again. Um, so for 300 years, we had the Bank of England never going below 200 basis points um, until 2009. And then it, it just stuck there at uh, zero or thereabouts for 13 odd years. And we're 14 years nearly. And we're, we're finally coming out of that. Um, and we're out of it. Um, and we're back to some sort of level of normality. But it's 
this new normal is the sort of normal we had in the immediate post-war period uh, you know which was remarkably low interest rates on a historic basis and i think we're going to see what are remarkably low rates for some time to come um so capital economics um this week did a forecast on where it thought the european central bank was going to be going um it's got a bit more bearish on that it thinks the rates are going to go up to four percent by the middle of this year um at the ecb but then it said it's probably going to cut um back down to two percent by the end of 2025 now projections for the bank of england are that we're probably at the the, the limit now at 4.25 percent we might see one more little tweaking up to four and a half percent but thereafter we will again see rates coming down but not below two or three percent certainly and i'd I'd be surprised to think it if they remain nearer three rather than two but we'll we'll see um the reality is though that this these are still remarkably low debt costs it's just not as that that unfeasibly low level that we we've been um enjoying or suffering i would argue um for for over a decade um so this is actually i would argue a good thing in terms of getting back to business as usual getting back to normality and loads and loads of deals were done pre-gfc when um the cost of debt was significantly higher than it is today um and there's no reason loads and loads of deals can't be done um in the years ahead and i think we've got a great potential ahead of us um one further thing i think i just want to mention with this i took a look at where we were heading for um hotel yields now since i've been a journalist writing about hotels which is what getting on for well it's over three decades now um we've always been something of a sort of cinderella sector uh, the you know the the junior member of the commercial real estate sort of asset classes um so you've had offices you've had retail um and you've had industrial which are the 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 big three and sometimes you know hotels are included and we fought to be included and then we finally got to a position where we're included now a few years ago for the first time thanks to the mainly the meltdown in in retail um we saw hotel yields fall below that of retail that never happened before but we're at another turning point right now in that some hotel yields prime leased hotel yields are now below um, office yields certainly in the city so i looked at some numbers from cbre um, they their sort of monthly yields and they show that in the city of london um, um, an office now yields 4.75 percent and a prime london leased hotel is yielding 4.5 percent so hotels are keener priced than offices in the city quite incredible um savills had a similar thing um in their numbers they had uh, leased core hotels at 4.25 percent and they reckoned city offices were at 4.5 percent um so but this is an incredible turning point i think um here we are um hotels now seen as a 
as a surer bet um, and certainly if you look at the yield numbers that's what that's what they're telling you um, than than offices so quite an incredible moment I think now we're going to look at what's going on in the German market which looks to have bounced back very strongly in the last few months and is going into a strong 2023 it recovered more slowly than some other markets in uh, in Europe notably the UK um, but uh, is coming back it's still got some upside to enjoy later in terms of trade fairs um, which you know didn't get booked in 2022 but are now coming back to a more full program for 2023 and that will certainly impact some uh, big uh, conference markets such as Frankfurt but we um, have been taking the temperature by pouring over the numbers from uh, two major operators in the German market um, one being Motel One and the other being um, H-World who of course are a Chinese uh, company that bought Deutsche Hospitality just before the pandemic rolled out um, but uh, while H-World's uh, Chinese operations are still suffering from uh, the overhang of uh, uh, the Chinese response to the pandemic. Uh, there are, things are easing up there now, but uh, for, for once they are looking to their, their German subsidiary as the bright spot in their portfolio. Um, but all seems set fairly well and in common with other European markets, the the German uh, hotel companies have been pushing rate quite hard and uh, things are looking pretty strong for 2023. Yeah, I mean, Germany has been something of a laggard um, coming out. It was one of the slowest out of the blocks in terms of the recovery in Europe, but it's certainly getting there. That's clear on the numbers. Um, I took a look at H World, um, formerly Wazoo and uh, formerly China Lodging. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> um, and, and you know quite an incredible company they are um in terms of the size so uh, at the year end they were 810,000 rooms so uh, you know clearly a global major on the room count piece um their nug their unit growth um, net unit growth seven percent in 2022 and this is in sort of peak chinese lockdown so quite remarkable um but th the question i looked into um we've asked it before but the it, it's why, why does H World want to bother with Deutsche Hospitality? Um, what's the point? It's Deutsche Hospitality is just twenty six thousand of those eight hundred and ten thousand rooms. So wh why why are they bothering with it? Um, you know, it, it, there's so much to go for in China, um, and the there are political pressures. Um, on H World and all Chinese companies to focus on boosting domestic consumption. In fact, the Chinese government's Ministry of Commerce has declared this year to be the year of consumption boost. Um, and hotels are going to be a critical part of that, um, especially now that the Chinese public are traveling again. Um, now, Interestingly, uh, the, the Chinese are heading overseas, um, but as much as anything, it's to bring money back to China. Um, a Reuters report last week said that uh, Chinese local government officials had been making numerous trips overseas to, to raise cash and get inward investment to the country. Um, 
uh, the Reuters report said that uh, uh, there was a cumulative nine trillion US dollars worth of debt held by local governments in China. And this was a key reason that, uh, you know, the crisis they've got in the, the property market, which had been a big source of finance for local government, um, that has all but dried up so they they need other money coming in and they're seeking other investors to come into the country so given that political pressure given the actual natural opportunity it's really quite difficult to see why um h world is going to want to hang on to deutsche hospitality now maybe they do maybe they're seeing themselves look we want to position ourselves as a global player and this is our first step into that that global um outlook um but you know and, and certainly you know it, the deutsche hospitality business has turned around so it um what it describes as um legacy Deutsche hospitality um in the year 2022 um 153 million renminbi um positive whereas the the h world bits um the wazoo legacy wazoo bit um 1.4 billion renminbi loss um in 2022 um so quite a quite a change there but clearly that Chinese betters completely turning around now coming back really fast and is the overwhelming bulk of the business um, and you know why do they want to do they want to hang on to that so I mean this was asked there was a analyst conference call um, H world is listed uh, for the time being um, on the Nasdaq um, and during the conference call um, H world said uh, our key focus will be the China market um, although they did say international expansion will be um, through Deutsche Hospitality. Um, what HR are looking to do um, is open 1400 hotels this year so that breakneck growth pace is continuing um, although um, although they're opening 1400 they're also shutting 600 to 650 as they exit the sort of one star market they're trying to take their portfolio up um, upscale a little bit more so um, with, with the political pressure at home worsening geopolitical relations as well between the west and china um i i think there's um and um, there is a good reason why we we may yet see something happen um, um in terms of uh, deutsche hospitality we don't know um and it may be that they decide to hang on to it but um then the other company of course is xinjiang um even bigger than wazoo um one point zero seven million hotel rooms at the end of september according to a recent press release um that accor put out um jointly with uh with xinjiang but um xinjiang own radisson well at least the non-america's bit of radisson and they own louvre um but maybe they too will trade we'll see there's no we've heard nothing um on the grapevine to indicate that they are being brought to market it, but it just seems to me that uh, um it's a log logical development for both these companies to to focus on china rather than international growth right now we were talking earlier about the fact that uh, certain other asset classes aside from hotels are, are looking pretty weak at the moment one of those is retail and um uh we're in a situation where many 
urban authorities are, are wondering quite how they're going to revive their high streets. And into this mix comes Travelodge, the uh, the UK budget hotel operator who's written to um, over 200 uh, local authorities around Britain suggesting that uh, a new travel lodge in their midst might be just the ideal solution to help revive their their urban centres. Um, and of course Travelodge being purely a, a lease uh, operating uh, platform are also looking to see if they can persuade those local authorities to somehow help fund uh, the development of the new travel lodges. Uh, they may be converted from existing buildings, they might be completely new builds. Uh, but the, the pitch here from travel lodges, you know, if you can work out a way to build a new hotel, we'll commit to signing up to rent it from you. Um, and of course, it, if uh, you want to structure it with a, a long leasehold interest, you may also then be able to sell that on if you need to, rather than at holding uh, a hotel long term in your portfolio if that doesn't suit you. So, um, Travel Lodge here trying hard to tap into a uh, potentially uh, an audience that's got uh, that, that, that's ready to listen because they're looking for solutions to uh, liven up their uh, slightly bombed out um, high streets. Yeah, so I, I listened into Travelodge's um, call. It was um, for their note holders. Um, obviously, they're not not listed. They're privately held, um, private equity backed company, um, but they do have uh, a fairly formal process of reporting their their numbers. And what they talked about, they want to get eighty hotels open over the next five years, um, and. Uh, Key, a key bit of this is is these this writing to the to the high streets. Um, they've identified they reckon three hundred uh, locations where its no frills offer is going to work. They've used an outside consultancy to identify the, uh, those sites, and it's uh, um, you know a good portion of them could well be on on the high street. Um, this year. Um, they're only going to open eight hotels. They blamed a hangover from COVID restrictions and uh, adverse market conditions, I think, <laughs> which is the, the shock of the interest rate rises, etc. Um, but nonetheless, um, you know, that they're going to finish this year just getting through the 600 uh, hotel mark and they'll have getting on for 50,000 rooms. If currently um, at year end, they had 45,761. Um, there's a lot to like about Travel Lodge, I think, um, despite them having gone through their um, company voluntary arrangements twice. Um, um, but that they, what they're doing right now in terms of their operating model seems to be um, succeeding, um, particularly their direct distribution. They're saying just one percent of revenues go via OTAs, eighty percent is direct. Um, uh, no, sorry, 90% is direct, 80% is digital. So 10% is sort of walk-ins, call centres and groups. 9% um, is um, stuff like travel agents and GDS. Um, well, that's the sort of indirect, so 10% indirect overall. And it's quite a contrast, we say, if you look at a group like Scandic. Um, now, you'd think Scandic would do really well in the direct booking, given that it's got a 15% market share and it's domestic Nordic market um, but it says it only gets 70% of its bookings direct so um, Travel Lodge doing 90% is is 
going some um, for that. Not quite as good as Whitbread, which remains the gold mm-hmm. standard for that, but you know, um, far far better than um, most other hotel operators, I would suggest. So doing a great job there. Um, interesting where they're positioning themselves as well. It very much in that sort of bed factory kind of thing so 64 percent of their hotels have don't have a full uh, cafe restaurant offer um but what they're looking to do is they have little vending machines and that kind of stuff um what they're looking to do is give an upgraded vending machine experience <laughs> whatever that's going to be but they reckon they're actually going to drive f&b revenues through this which is interesting um so kind of a less is more strategy i think to to push forward their F&B piece um, they're also being really switched on in terms of their uh, 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 how how they're operating and they're actually bringing stuff in-house going against the trend we've seen over the past few years where um, people have been outsourcing they've brought um, housekeeping in-house um, been trialing robo vacuums um so which is interesting to reduce costs but they're also now bringing their maintenance teams back in-house as well so that whole outsourcing experiment is 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 coming to an end so um it, it does seem that despite those cvas i mentioned in 2012 and 2020 uh travel lodge is taking the recovery on the front foot to our five star and no star awards for this week and uh, five stars, Andrew, are going to um, some positive. Yeah, well, the good, very good news in terms of the the recovery and uh, UK inbound. Um, so they do this confidence uh, business barometer, this confidence survey, um, and they did it in. Um, well, they got the people who who do the research to do it in March this year and it found um, the best ever results for three years so 86% of respondents saying they were feeling confident about bookings and revenue for the next 12 months so it's clearly you know great news people have haven't been so confident um, you know since pre-covid so it's a you know five stars for for what's looking at an ongoing good recovery and no stars for something which is a little bit more confusing i think yeah well this was this we've already referenced it in this podcast and this was to do with the uh uh imf uh, announcement that we're heading towards zero rates and it's simply my our colleagues chris <laughs> in the financial press getting confused with what a real interest rate is so they're saying oh we'll go back to zero interest rates no you're not what the imf was saying is uh zero real interest rates so once you deduct inflation and given inflation um targets for central banks are in the sort of two percent bound what you're looking at is uh interest rates which are going to hover just above that two percent mark so there's still positive real interest rates um, but pretty close to zero and the imf blog post um, what they were saying was look we don't need to have so big positive real interest rates as we've had in the past now 
you know the blog post itself the interest rate outcome looks like good news but the reasons for that outcome not so much um uh, in terms of good news and in that they talk about uh, unfavorable demographics lots more older people having to be supported by fewer working age population um and low productivity now i'm a little bit more bullish on that productivity thing uh on that productivity front i think there's a lot going to be coming um in terms of artificial intelligence and so forth but nonetheless i think the prognosis that we're we're not going to see sort of hyper super high interest rates going forward um is um a, a good thing but no stars for the uh, misinformation um so we could have a fact check i guess um um chris on this um for our colleagues in the rest of the financial press they did a Absolutely. bit of a blue and on that sanitary note we'll say goodbye for now <laughs>